Amen. All right, we are finishing up this series called You Ask For It, where you submit questions about anything and everything, and we're going to try to see what the Bible says about those questions. I did have two questions I was going to try to get to today, but I only have time for one, so here's what I'm going to do. So I can answer all the questions that were submitted. The, the question I'm not going to answer is a fairly short answer, probably six, seven, eight minutes in response. So what I'm going to do, we're going to answer the, long, the lengthier question here in person. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, do a video on Facebook to answer the other question. And so it will be answered. I'll post it probably Wednesday around noon or so, midweek. And so we'll have that, the last question answered. So you can catch it on there. It'll be on there forever and ever. Um, so if you, if you want to see that, that'll be there this week just to let you know. Um, we are going to get all the questions, just not all of them today. But let's to go ahead and jump into today's question. There's kind of a two-part answer, and so we'll look at both of those parts to answer this question today. The question is, in light of Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, how can I reach others and lead them to Christ? The question was a little bit longer, but that's kind of how I condensed it to fit it you know, on, on the screen here. So let's read that question again. In light of Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, how can I reach others and lead them to Christ? Let me just say, this is one of the best questions a follower of Jesus can ask. How can I help others to find and follow Jesus? How can I effectively do that? The question references Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So what I want to do is, is read that and then work through it for just a few minutes and look at what it's really saying and then uh, answer the second part of the question about helping others find Jesus. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 says this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So I'm going to put the the scripture back up there again a second time so we can kind of work through it and see it as we work through it today. So what we see here in the first part, verses 11 and 12, are historically what's called the five-fold ministry gifts. Sometimes it's, there's only four, because, and we'll look at, I'm going to go through them just for a second and define them, because a couple of them, you're thinking, oh, apostles, whoa, prophets, what does that look like? Who is that? Am I one? And I would say, I don't know, maybe you are. We'll find out. Uh, the first thing I do want to note is he says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, so I am your gift. Just that I'd mention that. I'm on the list. You're welcome. No, no, no. No, let's look at the pastor slash teacher first, because that's the easiest one to define. That's the simple one to get out of the way, right? Uh, because that's the one that we still, that makes sense. We still have those. We still call them that. The only thing I want to mention is sometimes they're together, but sometimes they may not be. So it is called the five-fold ministry gifts because especially at a larger church when you have multiple staff members, not every pastor is a teacher, right? And not every teacher, well, every teacher probably should pastor, but sometimes they, it's just they teach. So the pastoring thing is some of the other duties of what you'd think of a minister. So the visitation, um, other things throughout the week that is not teaching, those are differentiated there in these two gifts. Now, as far as our setting, that would we have a fourfold gift here because that's me. Both of those would describe part of my role just based on size and how we do things here at this local uh, level. But that's the easiest one. So pastor, teacher, we're done with that one. Uh, he talks about evangelist here. Now, that's another one that's pretty simple. You probably heard of evangelists, you know, like Billy Graham or um, Luis Palau, people like that, or even more local evangelists that would come to local churches. We still have those today. They are becoming probably less 
maybe less common than they used to be, but that's still a gift for the church. It's someone who spreads the good news. They travel. They're not planted at a church as a pastor, but they travel around to encourage churches and pastors and communities with the gospel. So evangelist is, is another kind of easy one. Then he lists apostles. This is a trickier one. The word apostle means one who is sent or a sent one. So there's two modern ways that we can define that term based on how it's really described in scripture one of which could technically describe me as well now i'm not gonna on my business card put apostle stephen wilhoy i'm not gonna give myself that title just the description of it could uh, be specific to me because it could mean someone who plants a church so paul's an apostle traveling around planting starting new works so that's a specific gift as it's described in the new testament that's still happens today. Really, there's been a resurgence in church planting in the last 10 years or so, and we're, we're one of the, the benefits of that kind of movement. The other way you could, you could describe an apostle in a modern-day setting is a missionary. So they go to somewhere else from their own culture. They are sent out to spread the gospel, to share the good news about Jesus to a different culture, a different place. So you could see a missionary in terms of this word apostle. So that's the strict definition of that apostle in a modern day sense. So it's not as tricky as maybe we sometimes think it is or sometimes make it out to be. It's simply one who goes out, who starts a new work or who starts a work in a different place. They would be considered an apostle. And then we have prophet. Maybe the weirdest of them all, just based on prophecy, sometimes this sort of weirds us out. But prophecy is simply sharing revelation from God. So there's two ways you can look at that. You can look at in a baseline way. Anyone who shares God's word could, would be technically prophesying. So anyone who preaches or teaches the word of God could be considered a prophet. But I think it's possible in the way it's being used here, it's sort of a step above. So someone who's used in the spiritual gift of prophecy would then be a prophet. So it's, it's, it's stated as one of the top, sort of the top five um, offices here or positions or gift, ministry gifts in the church, someone who proclaims God's word. It could be similar to it, pastor, teacher, um, but the way that I've, I've seen it explained the best is the difference is this. Usually a teacher is, is teaching general things or doctrinal things or a pastor does that. But someone in the gift of prophecy is sharing something more personal or practical, especially something that God would just speak to them about someone so they have the gift of wisdom or knowledge about something that they have no idea this is going on, but God helped to reveal this to me to share to you about your situation. That would be sort of this gift of prophecy. So the last two um, ministry uh, gifts here, apostle and prophet, there are some in the church who would say these are not in, the, in existence anymore today. Like they phased out with the original apostles when the New Testament was over. That's it. We shouldn't have anyone calling himself an apostle or prophet at all. I would say I don't see that anywhere. Like, so again, that's, that's what we call cessationism. Like no spiritual gifts are to be in effect today. Like all of those things you read in the New Testament, that ended with the New Testament. And I would say the the burden of proof is on the person stating that because I don't see anywhere where that's explicitly or even implicitly stated in New Testament anywhere. So as far as I'm concerned, spiritual gifts are still for today. These offices, all of them, as originally intended and used in the New Testament, are still for the church today. Uh, now, again, it's not bad if people say they're not there, but I would say, again, there's really no biblical evidence to show that. 
So those are the five or four gifts. But let's look at then quickly what their job is. The responsibility, Paul writes, is to equip God's people to do his work, or another version says to do the work of the ministry and build up the church, the body of Christ. So the job of an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, so my job is to equip the church to do the work of the ministry, right? Normally, we think the pastor's job is to do the ministry, Now, a pastor has a ministry that he does, but what it says here, primarily the task is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So, spoiler alert, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in ministry. And so my task then, part of the teaching that we do here to get us ready for the week is to prepare us for the week that is ahead. And today, the rest of this question is like essential that we are kind of trained and motivated to share the gospel. And so he he says that is the job. So that doesn't make my role more important than anyone else's. It's just different. So think of what I try to do in terms of like a personal trainer. So someone comes to the gym, they want to get fit, they want to lose weight, they seek out a personal trainer to kind of help them do that. That's sort of my role spiritually for this body is to try to help to motivate us, to grow a little bit, to stretch ourselves, to, be, to hopefully be an encouragement, hopefully maybe bring some enlightenment through, through what the scriptures say. Again, not because I'm more important or better or whatever, just because my job is different and that's the description of, of primarily what I do in this sort of setting. So then let's go to the, the verse 13 though. This is important. I just want to say this very quickly. I know I'm preaching to the choir on this one, but let me just state this. He says, this will continue how long? Until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So he is, Paul is implying here the importance of a corporate church gathering a regular corporate church gathering. He said these gifts in the church in this way are needed forever. He's like, until we reach perfection, we need this system. Until we reach spiritual maturity to the fullness of Christ, we need these gifts to be used in this way, in this model. So it's it's showing the importance of what we're doing here. It's not just a ritual. It's not just a thing to check off. It's not just, well, I've done it for on Sundays for 40 years, and I just feel weird if I don't go, which is true. If you've grown up in church or you come to church regularly, and for whatever reason you miss or whatever, it just doesn't feel like Sunday to me anyway when I'm, like, not here. And so I notice there's, like, I get two Saturdays, but the second Saturday it just feels so weird. Uh, but that's, but he's saying it's the importance. We always need this equipping. We always need this care. We always need this interaction with one another. It's important forever through the local church. So, again, though, he's saying that my job then is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, what, what does that mean? That, that really answers the second part of the question. What's the main job of a Christ follower? There's kind of two things, and we'll focus on the second one today. The first one is simply living a life of faith. In general, in everything that we do, we want to project Jesus well. We want to live out his way of living well. And then the second thing that we'll talk about specifically today is the main job of any Christ follower is to share our faith. Not simply just live it out, but at times and in different ways to share our faith. So then the second part of the question today is how do I do that? How do I effectively reach others and lead them to Christ? How do I share my faith? So what I want to do with the rest of our time together today is I want you to remember these five, there's five things. Remember these five things when it comes to sharing your faith. This is not necessarily a formula. 
but it will work. So five things to remember or to know when it comes to sharing your faith. Number one, know this. God wants you to be a witness. And that word witness is simply just another term for sharing your faith. God wants you to be a witness. Let's look at Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, do what? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew 28 is some of the final words Jesus ever says. The final word that someone says on their deathbed or at the end of their life, they are going to hopefully be very important. The final thing Jesus says is not really preaching a sermon, not really explaining scripture, it's giving instruction. Go and make disciples. Do what I've done. Re, re, replant yourself in others. Replant me through yourself in others. His final words are really an expectation that his followers would be witnesses. So I say God wants to, and I would say even a little more strongly, God expects us to be witnesses. That's the main thing for a Christ follower is to help others find and follow Jesus that we have found and that we follow. In some of his teachings, Jesus calls his followers the light of the world, the salt of the earth. In Romans 10, Paul says, how will anyone know about Jesus unless they hear about him? And how will they hear unless people are sent? So really, in some way, we're all apostles. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, hey, you're going to be sent out. You're going to go out into everywhere and preach the gospel. It's going to start in your community, and then it's going to spread from there. So there's this expectation that we all do this. The number one job of a Christ follower is to know I'm called to be a witness. I'm called to share my faith. I'm called to live it out in such a way that it's contagious. I'm called to live in such a way that's so different from most of the rest of the world that I get noticed. I'm called to live in such a way that people are like, there's something in you that I really like, and I'm not sure what your secret is, but I need to know what it is. And the door is now wide open. Let me tell you why I live a different way. Let me tell you how this works so well for me, even though your life's not perfect, right? So don't, I should have added this in. So 1B one one is now don't wait for your life to be perfect to share your faith, right? His, if you read, if, like, the 12 disciples that he, or 11 that are left that he's talking to here in Matthew 28 are not perfect men. The last time he saw them a few weeks or several weeks ago, they ran away when he needed them the most. They're like three months fresh off of really blowing it here. And now he's saying, hey, you guys are in charge of this whole operation. Go. And then he leaves, you know. So don't wait for that moment. I have it all figured out. I know the scripture forward and backward in Hebrew and Greek. I, I, I am, you know, perfect in all my ways. No, 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 it's not. Don't wait for that moment. Be a witness now. But let your life be a witness in such a way that it makes that impact. But many times we feel we can't do that. I don't measure up. I don't know what to say. I get nervous. I, I don't have the confidence. So here's the second thing to remember about sharing your faith. Number two, God just doesn't want you to be a witness, but God empowers you to be a witness. God empowers you to be a witness. Acts 1, verse 8, the classic Pentecostal scripture in all of the Bible, basically, uh, is Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my what? 
witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is Luke's account of what we just read in Matthew, basically. They're writing about right before Jesus leaves, and Luke adds this in because his whole point is the book of Luke is about Jesus' life and ministry. The book of Acts is about what happened after him when the church finally got started. And this is sort of the hinge pin that connects his his two-volume work together is Acts 1-8 because this is the end of Jesus. He's going to ascend, but he sends the Holy Spirit. Why? To empower his disciples to do what he commanded them to do. So Matthew just leaves it up. Hey, you guys go be witnesses. Boom. But Luke's account includes how we're empowered to do that, how it's possible that we can do that. Because I'm frail, and I may, maybe, you're, maybe you're timid, and maybe you don't have you know, great use of words, and maybe you just aren't out there a lot. But Jesus says, hey, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to empower you to be a witness. That's the main purpose of the Holy Spirit. It's not about goosebumps. It's not about a feeling. It's not about emotion. It's not about spiritual gifts. Those things are not wrong or bad, but they're not the main purpose of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is clearly to receive power to be a witness. So the Holy Spirit will direct you to people that need to know about Jesus. He will place people in your path that need to hear the gospel. And then he will give you the confidence to talk with them. He will give you words to speak to them. Now, I could give you a formula on here's what you say first and here's what you say second. But here's what I found. That doesn't usually work because every situation is different. Every relationship is different. Every individual has their own baggage that they're dealing with. And you've got to work through that first before you can get to, hey, you need Jesus, right? Because they have their own story, their own history, their own personal makeup that's going on. And so again, for me to, I'm giving you as much of a formula today as I'm going to give, because to go beyond that, it's just going to be a waste of our time. Because if you approach person A, it's going to go one way. You approach person B, it's going to go a different way. But the Holy Spirit will empower you and direct you on how to navigate those relationships, how to navigate those conversations. He will give you the power to begin that conversation. And we see this proven over and over and over in the book of Acts. So the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. But I think if Luke had maybe put another subtitle, it would have been the Acts of the Apostles done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, again, these are regular men. We're going to look at a story in just a second. These are regular people, everyday people, nothing special about them, right? But the Holy Spirit used them to start this movement that still exists 2,000 years later. Now, Jesus initiated it, but they kept, they're the first generation after him to keep this thing running. And keep it running, they did really well. So what we see in Acts chapter 3, there's a story about Peter and uh, John. And they're walking together, and they see this lame man at the gate. It's called Beautiful. The name of the gate is called the Beautiful Gate. And he's praying, or he's, he's begging for money, for alms. And so they go to him and they say, hey, dude, we're broke. We got nothing to give you, but we have something better than what you're asking for. They say silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have we'll give to you in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. And they get his hand up, and this man who's been lame forever gets up and walks. So they couldn't do that, could they? They can't make that happen. The Holy Spirit empowered them to, to work this miracle. And then Peter, being the bright guy that he is, decides this is a great time to preach about Jesus because they've just seen something they never thought they'd ever see in their lifetime, and I get to explain to them how that's possible. So he says he, he preaches this sermon, and a lot of people come to Christ. 
But just like with Jesus, the, re- the Jewish religious leaders aren't a big fan of this. Especially when, when Peter, specifically it says in Acts 3, says, Christ who was crucified and raised from the dead did this. So there's a, a group of Jewish people called the Sadducees that do not believe in a resurrection of the body. And they're the ones that like, eh, wrong, not good. So they arrest Peter and John. And they say, hey, this is, this is not going to work. This is not good. And I only have verse 13 on the screen, but I want to read a couple verses beforehand. And so I have this here. So if you have your um, Bible app, you get bonus scriptures today. There's actually a couple in here. So there's your plug to use the Bible app because it today anyway, uh, it really it really is to your benefit. Let me find it. Da, 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 da. Here it is. Okay, so Acts chapter 4. So after this event, they're arrested. They go before the council. And verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7 of Acts says this. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, listen to this, filled with the Holy Spirit. Not just then Peter said, but Luke makes it very clear. Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man. Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one who one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And then Peter says this, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And look at verse 13 says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures, but here's what they also saw. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So being in the presence of the Holy Spirit, being with Jesus in that way empowers us to be a witness. So you don't have to have all of everything figured out. You don't have to have a fancy speech prepared. You just need the boldness through the power of the Holy Spirit to simply share your story, share your faith, share your journey. Hey, you know, before Christ, things were not, they were not great at all. But Christ made a difference in my life. And again, your story is going to be different than anybody else's. So just share your story. That's a really simple thing to do. Anybody can do that. So be bold. Take a step of faith because you're empowered to be a witness. The third thing to remember about sharing your faith is simply this. Be for things, not just against things. When it comes to sharing your faith, be for things, not just against things. Don't make the gospel about rules. Don't make the good news bad news. That's what legalism does. And many times we talk about Jesus saving us from our sin. Yes, but but then we make, well, he's saving you from your sin, and then he wants to keep saving you from this sin and this sin. And this. Like, no, 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 just, just stop right there. Like, you want to get them, like, through the door, and then Christ will take care of the rest. The Holy Spirit will do the rest. So if we make it about, well, now you got to do this thing and this thing, and you have this obligation, and you, you got to follow these set of rules, and there's a lot of them. Have you read the Bible? It's pretty thick. It's a lot of rules. If we do that, that's not, that's not the gospel, if I'm very honest with you, that's not attractive, and it's not the gospel. If you read the book of Galatians, which we'll look at uh, one verse from chapter 5 in a second, that's pretty much the letter that Paul writes to the Galatians is, hey, you guys are stuck in legalism. And he says at the very beginning, that's a different gospel. Like, I, I know the gospel. I preach the gospel. That is a different one. Do not believe that. The, the, he says it's bondage. 
So, and really in general, strict rule keeping doesn't really work in any area of life for very long. You ever go on a diet, really strict diet? You are never more hungry in your life than when you start a diet, right? You just never are. See, the strict, now, it's, if, you're on, now if you're on a diet and, that's, and you want to do it, that's fine, but it's not fun. It's not pleasant, and you want to quit, or you do quit really quickly. And it's the way it is with, with our spirituality. If we make it about all this strict rule keeping, it's a chore, not a joy. And we're like, I don't, this is not fun at all. This is not enjoyable at all. This is not freedom at all. And that's what, in Galatians 5.1, Paul says, you've been, in Christ, you've been freed for the sake of freedom. So it's not, you've not been freed to follow a bunch of rules now, although there are things that we, then we do desire to do with a new heart. That's different. That's different. Paul's saying, but it's not about that. He set us free to be free, not to have all these rules. Because legalism is bondage. Legalism starts this comparison thing. Well, I'm more holy than they are because I follow these rules, and they should get their act together, and they're not maybe as great of a Christian as, as I am. And that, what that leads to is self-righteousness, which is the opposite of Jesus' righteousness. That's what he saves us from is our self-righteousness. And so a huge part of the gospel is grace. So please, 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 when you're sharing your faith, sharing your story, sharing the gospel, please make it about what Jesus is for and not what, all, what the, maybe the church is against, okay? In a similar way, uh, number four, they're, they're tied, three and four are tied. In a similar way, number four is keep it about Jesus. That's what the gospel is, the good news about Jesus, period, end of story. Now, in our post-Christian Western culture, it's easy to get, trapped in these secondary issues and questions that people have, it's fine to address those, but don't focus on them. Like people are like, what about evolution? I'm here to talk about Jesus. He didn't talk about evolution one time. He didn't talk about creation at all. Can we get to Jesus for a second? We can talk about that later, okay? But don't, let's not get stuck in the mud on these secondary issues. Even when it comes to like, well, what about the Crusades? Like, well, what about something else that happened 800 years ago. Are we going to talk about that? Let's talk about Jesus. That happened way before the Crusades. Let's talk about Jesus. So it's easy to get in those traps. It's easy to try to explain everything away. It's like, let's keep the focus on Jesus. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Notice he says, I decided to know nothing. Now, Paul's a very smart man. I mean, he is top-tier intelligentsia here. I mean, he's like, he knows the scripture forwards and backwards. He is the high, he is trained by the, the top rabbi of his day. He is an expert in the law, and he kept the law faithfully, perfectly, even before he met Jesus as a Jewish man, right? But he says, I decided not to know anything else except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you read his letters, and he's like, well, he's talking about this issue and that issue, but everything he talks about is centered on, focused on Jesus, the gospel. Even the book of Romans, it's, it's long, it's dense. It is, it is basically an explanation of the gospel. And now it takes a long time to get there. And he goes through a lot of other things, but it's all centered on the gospel. It's all about Jesus. So the gospel, the, the message is Jesus is who we cannot be. Jesus did what we could not do. So the central message of the gospel is not you need more of this or more of that to fix your problem. It's not that you need a new job to be satisfied. It's not that you need to change relationships to feel better. It's that Jesus changes everything. Those other things, he will help you take care of along the way. So even sometimes, like 
even a lot of Sundays and a lot of series that we'll do, even the next series that we're going to start next week, is a different issue, but it's all grounded in who Jesus is and what he came to do in, in some form or another. So there are things that Jesus will do, but it's all everything else needs to be centered on him. The message is you need Jesus, and that's the simple message um, that we want to share with others, and that's really what our church is all about. So um, even on our sign out front, it says we are helping people find love, hope, and life in Christ. Not love, hope, and life in general, right? Not love in this area and life in this area and hope in that, but all of it is found in Jesus and only him. So let's keep the message simple. The gospel is very simple. That's part of the reason it trips people up. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds like a child's story. It sounds like a fairy tale sort of thing. That's the issue. It's simple, but that's the beauty of it. It's simple. So let's keep it simple. All about Jesus. The fifth and final thing about to remember or to know about sharing your faith is is maybe the hardest one, and that is leave the results up to God. Leave the results up to God. I just want to maybe wound our pride for a second and let us know you can't save anyone. I can't save anyone. And here's the good news about that. Jesus didn't say, go save people in Matthew 28 or in Acts chapter 1. He said, go be a witness. He said, go share about the one that can save them, and then the rest will work itself out. This is hard because we want to control results, and we want to make it happen, and we want it so bad. And that's not a bad thing. We should want people to come to Christ but not to where we get discouraged, not to where we get beaten down. So let me say, you will meet resistance in different ways at different times from different people when you try to share your faith. But don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Don't stop loving. Don't stop praying. Don't stop sharing. Don't stop serving them. Because salvation is God's plan. It's his idea. It's all about him and his son and the Holy Spirit doing this thing, and we're just a little tiny part in that plan. One more verse as we close, 2 Peter 3, 9. Peter writes this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slow. He's talking about the return of Christ. But it says, He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This last point about leaving the results up to God is sometimes especially difficult when it comes to our family who are not Christ followers. This is hard because we want it so bad and we will do anything we can to see that they become a Christ follower but here's the thing we can't do anything to make that happen it's always only every time in every situation up to the Holy Spirit to do his work and so keep praying don't get discouraged and so that what second Peter shows us is that God wants them to become Christians just as much as you do even more he went to the greatest length that he could by sending his only son to die for them, for their sin. He wants that none perish. So let that be a comfort to you. The God of all creation, the God when there was nothing, he was. The God when everything else is gone, he will remain, right? That same God is the God that desires more than anything for people to come to a saving knowledge of him through his son, Jesus Christ. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, I watered but someone else planted, but God made it grow. So here's one thing you can pray about, especially if you're struggling with this um, sort of uneasiness or sort of, you know, this wrestling in your spirit about, "Mm, why why aren't they getting saved and why aren't they listening and why are they rejecting me? 
Here's the thing. Pray for someone else to come along their path that maybe will say something in a different way than you've said for years and years and years, and they'll be like, ah, it makes sense now. And that's why youth pastors are so important. I was one for a few years. Because what teenager wants to listen to their parent? None of them, right? But they'll listen to a different person who is an adult, an authority figure, but not their parent, right? That's why, and that's why teachers are important. And that's why to have godly teachers is such a big deal because people who are not their parent will speak into their lives. People who are not family, like sometimes it's hard, the hardest to reach your family because they know your dirty little secrets and they know your past. And sometimes, I don't know about, you know, the Jesus thing about them. Is it, is it real? Is it not real? But somebody else that might come in their path, they don't have that mindset with them. So they'll be very receptive to their message. So one thing you can pray for, for people who are, you're praying to receive Christ, God, put people in their path that will be a witness to them, that they will just be so bombarded with the good news, they will have no choice but to say, okay, I get it. God's trying to get my attention. This makes sense now. Whatever, it, whatever makes it click for them, pray that the Holy Spirit would do that, bring others in their path to make that possible. Because as we do our part, as we are a bold witness that shares the, good, the simple good news of Jesus, God will do his part. The Holy Spirit will work on people's hearts. He will speak to people. He will challenge them. He'll bring others into their path to help them to see, hey, this good news, it's for you. It's not just for everybody else. God's not angry with you, and God's not going to, wanting to destroy you. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That's the good news that we want to share. We want others to share so that we can have people find and follow Jesus. There are people that God is calling you to reach. There are people that only you can reach. Think about that for a second. There are people that God is calling you to reach with the gospel because there are people that only you can reach. So the question is, the challenge is, will you take that challenge? Will you do your part to share your faith, share the good news about who Jesus is? It takes, it takes boldness, yep. It takes some confidence, yep. It takes something bigger than me to do that, yep. The Holy Spirit helps us to do that. The simplicity and the power of the gospel changes lives. And God is calling us to all play a part in seeing that happen.